So good morning, church. I'll be reading from excerpts of Leviticus chapter 16, which is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1 to 10, verse 16 to 19, and verse 29 to 34. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bow from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash round his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments." shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for his sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bow as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the Lord fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the Lord fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all round, and shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And a priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments, shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, thank you so much, Sam, for reading God's Word for us. And thank you, David, for leading us in this time of worship. And for those of you who are new to the church, and I do see a few new faces, my name is Joe. I'm the associate pastor serving here at One Covenant Church. Now, before, before I preach from God's Word this morning, I do have one announcement to make. Now, many of you will know Celine, who is a member of our church. Uh, her grandfather passed away uh, last Saturday evening on the 5th of August. Uh, she's not here at the first service, but if you do see her, do pray for her in this time of mourning and do send her your words of condolences. Uh, as we return to the book of Leviticus, we'll be looking at Leviticus chapter 16. As we hear from God's word, let us ask for his blessing. As we hear from him, let's come to God in the time of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we are undeserving of your grace. We thank you for the atoning sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we hear from your word this morning, that you will give us a deeper appreciation of what Christ did for us on the cross. And Father, I pray that this will deepen all of our love towards you, Lord. And so we come before you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we return to our study in the book of Leviticus. And before we look at today's text, let's do a brief recap of what happened over the past few weeks. Now, we've covered chapters 11 to 15, which give us God's regulations for what is clean and what is unclean. And remember, back in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, that God called his people to distinguish between the holy and the common, the clean from the unclean. And this is important because of who God is as a holy God, that God is holy and we are not. And because of this, we can only commune with him if we ourselves are holy. And this is why the regulations were put in place. And all of these regulations actually set the stage for what we find on the Day of Atonement in chapter 16. Now, this chapter is seen as the climax of the entire book of Leviticus. And it's literally, if you have a physical Bible, I mean, I'm not sure how many of you are still using a physical Bible. If you have a physical Bible, you'll notice that chapter 16 is found in the middle of the entire book. It's literally at the center of the book. The Day of Atonement, or what the, Hebrew, or what the Jewish people call the Yom Kippur, was the highest point of the Israelite calendar. It was seen as the holiest day of the year. And it was something that the ancient Israelites looked forward to, you know, much like the national day that we just celebrated, you know, once every year here in Singapore. Now, why was this day so important? And the reason is because of its purpose. And the purpose of Yom Kippur was to atone for the remaining sins of Israel. You see, you can be the most careful, you can be the most conscientious Israelite, you can do all of the regulations, you can do all of the sacrifices to the best of your ability, and still, after doing all of that, still, you can miss certain sins that were not atoned for. And thus, there was a need to sweep away all of the sins that were overlooked and unaccounted for. And you can think of this as the Israelite version of the annual spring cleaning. You know, annual spring cleaning, you know, where you set aside time to clean the places that you have missed in your routine house cleaning. And this is basically what Yom Kippur is all 
about. Now, let me just provide an outline of this passage so that you have a better sense of what's happening here. Now, verses 1 to 2 of chapter 16 give us the introduction. And verses 3 to 5 tell us about the animals and the priestly clothing that's needed for the ceremonies. Verses 6 to 10 give us a summary of the ceremonies involved. Verses 11 to 28 provide details of the ceremonies, and these are very important for the high priest and for his helpers. And finally, verses 29 to 34 tell us about the duties that are required of the people. And as you look at this whole chapter, we will come face to face with who we are as sinners as well as the solution that all of us need. So in other words, this message is a message for sinners. Now, if you think that you are, you know, you are good enough before God, you know, then perhaps, you know, as you're listening to this passage, you're not going to like what you hear, what you, are going, what you are going to hear. Perhaps that's you. But if we are honest with ourselves, you know, we will often feel that we are not good enough. You know, we are not good enough before a holy God that I've tried so hard, I've done so many things, and yet things still crumble before my eyes. Now, if that describes you, now if that's you, then this sermon, this message is for you. So let's look at this text in three points. We'll be looking at some of the unique features of the days of the Day of Atonement. We'll look at the significance of the sacrifices, we'll look at the sanctification of the sanctuary, and then we'll look at the self-denial of the sinner. So let's begin with the first point. Now, as mentioned earlier, the Day of Atonement dealt with the remaining sins that were not atoned for. And in order to show how important this day was, you know, God actually said to Aaron through Moses in verse 2 to not enter the holy place inside the veil at any time. And the, and the purpose is so that he may not die. Now, the holy place inside the veil is also known as the most holy place or sometimes called the holy of holies. Now, this was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was placed and the mercy seat was above it. And it was a place that cannot be defiled because this was the place where God came to dwell with His people. You know, the Shekinah glory of God would come and dwell in it. And because of this, it was impossible for a sinner to enter through the veil in a very casual way. You know, not even the high priest, as important as he was, could enter the holy place, the most holy place, on his own will. And by saying this, by warning Aaron about this, it was almost as if God was reminding Aaron of the consequences of being careless, the consequences of being careless before a holy God. You know, just like his sons who were careless and they were consumed back in Leviticus chapter 10, this would happen. This would be the same thing, the same outcome if Aaron himself was careless. And to prevent this, you know, Aaron had to do several things. You know, Aaron had to wash himself, he had to put on new holy garments, and this was followed by sacrifices that were offered to deal with the sins that remained. You know, you had the sacrifices for the high priest and his family. It begins with the high priest and his family. And then he had to offer atonement for the nation of Israel. He had to offer sacrifices for Israel. Then after sacrificing for the nation, you have a live goat that was sent into 
the wilderness. And finally, after all of this, after all of these steps, you know, the high priest, he needed to be washed and he needed to be cleansed before he could return to the camp. Now, I'm not sure if you actually caught what just happened, but we just witnessed something amazing right here. This right here is the first time in Leviticus chapter 16 that a human being is actually entering the most holy place. A human being is entering the most sacred space in the community. And remember what we said at the beginning of this sermon series, that Leviticus was written to address how a holy God can commune with sinners. So here, for the very first time in this book, we see the resolution to this question, and we find that by getting access to the most holy place, we, the, the whole communion that we were looking forward to between God and His people is finally here. That communion between God and His sinful people is finally here. That all that's needed is to offer sacrifices to God Himself, and the, the offerings that were offered were the burned and the sin offerings. Now, we have seen sacrifices since the beginning of the book, but what is unique here in the Day of Atonement is what we find in verses 8 to 10. So if you have your Bibles or you have your bulletins, turn there with me, verses 8 to 10. This is what it says. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and to use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the Lord fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Now here we find two goats in this part of the ritual. You know, one of them actually dies as a sin offering to God, while the other is sent away for Azazel. And in verse 21, we're told that the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the live goat and confess on it all the sins of the people before sending it away. Now, at this point, you may ask the question, you know, what is Azazel? Now, scholars actually dispute over the exact meaning of Azazel, but what is clear is this. It has the idea of removing and exterminating sin from Israel. So you have the live goat, that makes atonement for the entire nation so that their sins may be far away from the people. And this is why, traditionally, the word Azazel was actually translated scapegoat. It was translated scapegoat because it really has the sense of something or someone bearing the faults of another. And in this case, you have the live goat bearing the sins of Israel so that God's people may have their sins removed from them removed far away from them. And these two goats show us something about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. You see, sin is so serious that it has to be dealt with. You know, something or someone has to pay the punishment for sin, and something or someone has to die for the transgression of God's holiness, that sin needs to be cast away so that none of it remains in the presence of God, that sin needs to be as far away from God as it possibly can. And closely related, what we find in these two goats are pictures. These are pictures of what sin does and what Israel deserved 
for her sins. You know, that's the picture of dying for their sins. You know, this is what sin actually does to you. The sin actually kills you. And the fact that something dies actually shows us what we deserve for our sins, that we deserve to die for our sins. And then there's the picture of being cut off from God's presence, of being cut off from His people. And this cut off happens deservingly so. And this is what sin does. And friends, we need to reckon with this. We need to recognize that sin kills. We need to recognize that sin cuts us off, that sin kills our souls, and sin cuts us off from God and His people. And what this means is this, that when sin comes into our lives, that our relationships with God that our relationships with one another actually become less intimate. Our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, with God's people, actually become less intimate. And when this is not addressed, when sin is not addressed, what happens is that you actually lead us to withdraw further and further Away. And this is the nature of sin, that sin turns us more and more inward and less and less outward towards God and His people. And in fact, if we are far away from God's people for too long, that might be symptomatic of a much bigger problem because sin isolates us. Sin draws us away from the safety of God's people. And this is why the sacrifices were so significant. This is why the sacrifices were so important on the Day of Atonement, because what these sacrifices did was that they dealt with the sins of the people before a holy God, that these sacrifices made reconciliation possible, that these sacrifices made fellowship possible between God and his people, the sacrifices, restore the relationships within the community. community. So without the sacrifices, that God's people would actually remain undone. They would remain undone in their sins before such a holy God. And their relationships with one another, with those within the community, they will remain Estranged, And this is why the sacrifices were so important. And this is why the, sacrifi the sacrifices mattered here. Now, in addition, we need to see that God's sanctuary needs to be sanctified. Now, I want to zone in on a portion of this chapter in verses 16 to 19 that may seem a little unusual to all of us. Now, in verses 16 to 19, what we find is this, that God instructed the high priest Aaron to make atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting, which refers to the sanctuary. And after that, the high priest was required to take the blood of the bull and the goat and put it on the horns of the altar. And then you'll have blood sprinkled on it, followed by cleansing and consecration. And what we find here is that there's a pretty clear movement. There's a movement from the inner sanctum that the high priest begins by cleaning the inner sanctum, the, holy, the most holy place, and then he moves outwards in the way he cleans the sanctuary. So it begins from the inner sanctum, and then he moves outwards so that the whole sanctuary may be cleansed and consecrated to God. 
But what is unusual is the act of making atonement for the sanctuary. Now, so far in the book of Leviticus, we've seen how atonement was made for the specific sins of the people, or that atonement was made for the general sinfulness of people. And yet here in Leviticus 16, we find Aaron making atonement for the sanctuary of God. Now, why was this needed? You know, is the sanctuary somehow sinful in the eyes of God? Because I thought that only people are sinful. So what is happening here? So why was atonement needed for the sanctuary of God? And the reason is this. The reason is because of what happened when sinners came into the sanctuary of God. You see, as mentioned earlier, Yom Kippur, the purpose of Yom Kippur was to deal with unaccounted sins in the life of the people. And what happens when sinners come into the sanctuary? What happens is that they bring all of this defilement that is unaddressed into the sanctuary. And this becomes a problem because the sanctuary was where God dwelled in the midst of his people. It was the sacred meeting place between God and his people. And we can even say that the sanctuary was the place where heaven meets earth. And this means that all the defilement, all the defilement has to be dealt with. And it's not just the defilement of the ordinary Israelite, but it refers but the defilement of the priestly order and the defilement of the high priest, all of that needs to be dealt with as well. And if the meeting place itself was defiled, then how can a holy God commune with his people? And even if the defilements were brought in in an unintentional manner, all of these defilements need to be addressed intentionally, and they need to be addressed lest the people experience the full justice of God for their sins. And it's for this reason that sacrifices were needed to atone for the defilement in the sanctuary. But at the same time, what we find is this. We find the mercy of God. We find the grace of God because He has offered a way for this sins to be dealt with. And this becomes more remarkable when we think about what this means in the New Testament. You see, when we come to the New Testament, we find the sanctuary of God in a different form. And friends, do you know what is the sanctuary in the New Testament? Well, the answer is you. The answer is you, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the sanctuary of God. And we find this language in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, which says that we are the temple of the living God. And this means that when you believe in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus Christ, and you become a part of God's people, you have become the temple of the living God. You have become the sanctuary of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And in light of this, you know, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that we are to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 
And what we find is this, that Jesus died so that we may be sanctified as his sanctuary. Jesus saved us so that we may grow in and towards holiness. And this is something that can only happen once we are changed from the inside out. And friends, this is how God works in all of our lives. The way God changes us is from the inside out, much as we saw with the cleaning of the sanctuary. And this is very different from, much, from the way much of the world actually operates. You see, there's a tendency to focus and to work on the outward presenting symptoms. You know, perhaps this means changing your behavior. Perhaps this means changing your lifestyles or perhaps this means changing what you're thinking. Now, all of these things may seem useful on the surface, but the problem comes when we think that all of these things can solve everything. The problem comes when we think that all of these things changes everything. And the reason why these solutions fail is because they fail to see the deep-rooted problems that lie in all of our hearts. And what hap often happens is this, that we become disillusioned. We become disillusioned when we find ourselves falling back to our old habits, that we find ourselves falling back to our old sinful habits, habits that were simply suppressed and not addressed. And that becomes a big problem. Or what we do is this, that we simply suppress one idol or we replace it with another idol in all of our hearts. But friends, let me say here this morning that that is not the solution. That cannot solve the deep-rooted problems in all of our hearts. The prophet Jeremiah says that the human heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. And what this means for all of us is this, that we need a new heart. We need a new heart. We need to have our hearts of stone removed from us and replaced with hearts of flesh. And this is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 tells us, this is something that only God can do. Only God can remove our hearts of stone and, re and replace them with hearts of flesh. That God needs to change us from within so that we may live for him. And friends, this is what the sanctified sanctuary of God actually looks like. Now finally, now this passage helps us to see the importance of self-denial, of self-denial in the life of the believer. Back to Leviticus chapter 16, you know, after instructing everyone on the rituals that need to take place on Yom Kippur, God then proceeded to speak about what the people needed to do. So if you look at verse 29 with me, this is what it says. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So the Israelites were called to afflict themselves. All of the natives 
and even the strangers who have joined them, who have joined Israel, they were called to afflict themselves on this day. And you see this repeated in verse 31. Now the phrase, afflict yourselves, is not about self-flagellation. Afflicting yourself does not mean that you just beat yourself until you feel nothing but guilt in your heart. Rather, what this phrase means in the Old Testament has to do with the idea of penitence. It has to do with the idea of penitence. In fact, this phrase is often paired up with the practice of fasting and prayer before God. In fact, that was what the Jews would have done. They would have fasted and prayed for the entire day. And yet what we find at the heart of this is the idea of self-denial. And this is why the Christian Standard Bible, another translation, actually translated it this way, that you are to practice self-denial and do no work. And so Israel needed to have a posture of self-denial throughout the day. In addition, as verse 31 puts it, this day was to be a Sabbath. It was to be a Sabbath or solemn rest for the Israelites, that the nation as a whole, they had to stop whatever they were doing regularly so that they may devote themselves to fasting, to prayer, and to penitence. And what this actually shows us is this. It shows us the importance of true repentance. It shows us the importance of repentance in light of everything which was offered and performed. And this repentance is not just a facade. It's not just a mere veneer, but it's a genuine expression of what we feel or what someone feels in his or her heart. And in fact, for Israel, it would have been disastrous in all of these things. All of these rites were performed without repentance. And this means that all of these rites on Yom Kippur, all of these sacrifices that were performed, they would basically mean nothing if there was no repentance on the part of the people. You know, it's just like a wedding. You come to a wedding, and if both parties are not committed to each other, then that wedding itself would be devoid of meaning. You know, as one commentator puts it, the Lord is not interested in his people's ability to perform ritual, but in whether they embrace him from the heart. And this is so important for all of us to grasp that it bears much repeating that we need to come before God in humble repentance, that we need to come before God in repentance. And until we do that, and unless we do that, the good news of the gospel, the good news of salvation will actually mean nothing to all of us. The gospel of what Jesus did is not good news. It's not truly good news to all of us until we embrace it in humble repentance. And this is what self-denial looks like. Self-denial involves turning away from seeing yourself as the center of the universe. And this goes against much of what we find in our culture that has become increasingly individualistic. We are called to express ourselves and we are called to do whatever we want. We are called to do whatever we want as long as we put our hearts to them. Really, is that true? 
Well, try telling that, and just to use an extreme example, try telling that to a psychopathic serial killer. Tell him that. Tell him to do whatever is on his heart, and we'll see what happens. But what we find is a much bigger problem. What we find is this, that the Bible tells us that the big problem is with all of us, that the problem is ourselves, that we are the problem because of who we are as sinners before God. And this is why the Bible tells us not to express ourselves, but to deny ourselves. The Bible calls us not to express ourselves, but to deny ourselves. And this is not just something. This is not just something that happens periodically. It's an entire way of life that all of us are called to, that we are called to an entire life of repentance, of turning to God. And repentance, we need to recognize, is not just so that we can make God happy, so that He can bless us and answer all of our self-centered prayers. What we are called to do is something else. What we are called to do is to repent, and it's repentance that is rooted in the gospel. Now, the late Tim Keller, he puts it this way. He says that repentance that's rooted in the gospel means to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ to weaken our impulse to do anything contrary to God's heart. And friends, this is what the Bible calls us to. This is the kind of repentance that will lead to life itself. And this is what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this is what self-denial means. Self-denial means looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus Christ as the center of our world. And it means following Jesus wherever he goes. And that, my friends, is the source of true joy. Self-denial is not giving up. It's not dying to true joy. It's not about giving up the pursuit of happiness, but rather self-denial means knowing where to go to. Self-denial means finding true and lasting joy in the only person, in the one person who can actually give that to all of us, and that person is Jesus Christ. Because apart from Jesus, all that you'll find are things that are transient, things that are transient that cannot last. And as C.S. Lewis puts it, you know, all of these things are, are actually like toys. That these things are actually like toys. These are toys that are never intended to possess our hearts. And the only real treasure is Jesus Christ himself. And this, my friends, is what self-denial looks like. And this is what self-denial leads to. Now, friends, perhaps at this point, you have this deep sense that you are a sinner before God. But you have no idea what to do with this guilt. You know, like the Israelite, you know, you can try as hard as you possibly can. You can try as hard as you possibly can and do all of the right things and yet, at the end of the day, we are still coming before God as a sinner. That we are coming before God 
as a messy sinner with all of the messes in our own lives. And whether you're a Christian or not, you have this sense of guilt. You have this guilt that is weighing on your heart. Now, if that's you, then you may ask the question, you know, what do I do with this? What do I do with this guilt? What do I do with this guilt before God? And what do I do with this sense of guilt in my heart? Now, if your Bibles turn with me to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it's the book that comes after Philemon and before the book of James. The book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 24 to 26. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. And this is what it says. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have, have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And friends, this is what we find in, this is what we find Yom Kippur pointing to, this is why there's no need for us to observe Yom Kippur today. And the reason is because of what Jesus did. The reason is because Jesus Christ has atoned for all of our sins. Jesus has gone into the most holy place once and for all. And he did so not through the blood of, both of goats and cows, but he did so with his own blood. And it's because of what Jesus did that Hebrews 10 verse 19 says that we can have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And we can come before God because of what Jesus did. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the two goats. And Jesus was the goat that died as the sin offering to God. Jesus was the, was the goat that bore the sins of his people and was sent away to die so that we may be brought in. And this is why some have actually called Yom Kippur the Good Friday of the Old Testament because Yom Kippur brings us face to face with our salvation in Jesus Christ. It highlights, it accents for us the access that we have to God himself. And friends, this is the access that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, that we can enter into the holy presence of God because of the blood-bought sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That Jesus' blood is enough to wash us clean and to clear us of all of our guilt. 
the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, he puts it this way, that the blood of Christ, it is all sufficient. There is no case which the blood of Christ cannot meet. There is no sin which it cannot wash away. There is no multiplicity of sin which it cannot cleanse, no aggravation of guilt which it cannot remove. And friends, this is what the cross does, that Jesus was hung on the cross for our sins so that he may experience the full extent of God's justice towards sin. Jesus died and shed his blood for us on the cross so that all of us may be washed clean. And you may remember that when Jesus died, that the veil of the temple was torn into two. And this symbolizes for us the access that we have before God, that now we have access to the inner sanctum. And this is what Jesus did for us. And this is something that will never, ever be taken away from us. And this right here is the power of the cross. Now, as we close, you know, this may be an opportunity for you right now to reckon closely with what your heart says. You know, you may be a Christian. You may be a believer who is really struggling with repenting of certain sins. You may be a person who professes to be a believer, who professes to be a Christian, but has never truly repented of your sins. Or you may be a non-Christian. You may be an unbeliever who is hearing this for the very first time. And let me say this to you. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're coming from, Jesus is calling us to go to him. Jesus is calling us to go to him on this very day. Trust not in the things of this world and trust not in yourselves, but trust in Jesus Christ alone. Set your eyes upon Jesus and see what he has done. Because what Jesus has called you to do is this, that he has called you to self-denial. He has called you to self-denial so that you may find your greatest joy in him. And as we go, let us hear his call. Let us hear the call of Jesus and flee to his embrace now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your dear son, Jesus Christ, who is the lion and the lamb, the scapegoat for our sins. And Father, we thank you for this blood atoning sacrifice that has washed us clean and has given us access to your throne of grace. And Father, we pray that we will not cling onto the sin that is dragging us down, but we will cling onto the, the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray that your spirit will help us to walk humbly in light of the salvation that we have received. And Father, we pray that all of our hearts will find their greatest joy in knowing Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.